Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores a golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, dew sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Hey everybody, welcome to Grilling at the Green here on AM860 in Portland, KSEY in Wichita Falls, um, KFAQ in Tulsa, Golf News Net. By the way, some news about the Golf News Net. It's going to be about three weeks and you'll be able to listen to this show and many other shows on a new dedicated golf channel on iHeart. Uh, Ryan Balaji has set that up and he's got the equipment. As soon as he gets back from vacation, he's going to pull the trigger on that. And we're very fortunate to be part of that lineup. This segment is brought to you part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef the way nature intended. You can check them out online at PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com. Well, he's back. Our good friend, our roving reporter with his own grilling at the green hat on there, Gary Van Sickle. Um, how, How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm happy that uh, all these podcasts and interview shows I'm on, somebody finally sent me a little something for the effort, Mama. You <laughs> sent me a hat. Thank you. Nobody, you know, nobody, they just, they just have you on for 10, 15, 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, once in a while, it's nice to get a little, a little chachki, uh, a little, gr- a little graph. Yeah, there you graph. go. I'm into that a lot, actually. And it's a nice hat. It's green. I like the green, the good logo, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's free advertising, so I, I, I don't know if I play with enough people, golf with enough people to help you, but maybe somebody will find it. Who knows? Hey, they'll find it. We'll, we'll, we'll find them eventually if they don't find us, put it that way. So one of the things we were going to talk about, Gary, was the Open. Um, I didn't go, and of course, but I watched it dutifully on TV uh, as much as I could, and I found it... Um, I, I wasn't disappointed in it. I would have liked to seen Tiger do better, but that's just me because I'm an unabashed Tiger fan. But I thought it was pretty good. And coming down to the end, I thought it was pretty good. But what was your take on it overall? It was good. Uh, I just did a story ranking the year's best majors, and I combined the men, the women, and the seniors. So there was 14 majors, and I ranked the British uh, Open number two, I believe. Behind the U.S. Open, the U.S. Open, the whole Saturday and Sunday were so compelling. It was back and forth. I thought that was I couldn't I couldn't stop watching that. Uh, I think the British probably everybody there in Scotland was rooting for Rory. They wanted Rory to win that. Oh, yeah. yeah. But Cameron Smith is. Who doesn't I, you love watching a guy make putts like that? He's just unbelievable. You know, yes. and 64 and come from behind and win the players and then do it again. To win the Open, I mean, I had written a story Saturday night saying, well, it's Roy's tournament unless somebody 
comes back and shoot, you're going to have to shoot 64, 63 to beat him. Well, and Rory's going to have to stumble. Well, that's what happened. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed it. And I think the kicker, I mean, even though, even for everybody who's disappointed by Rory, you've got a shot for the ages. I mean, really a couple, but you're always going to remember every American tourist goes over there to play the, the course now at the road hole bunker, they're going to put a ball down and try that putt that Smith did around the road hole bunker, which was the shot of the tournament. And then he, and he still only had, he still only got to like what, 12 or 15 feet. And he made that. Yeah. And then of course, Cameron Young made that Eagle putt on 18 forcing Smith to, who'd made a great putt from off the fringe from long range, the tap in range to, uh, you know, two, two footer, but a two footer to win the open is not the same as a two footer, but he made it that, but that, that shot, that putt around the bunker. How many oh, guys that was something. Hide that? That was, yeah. that was, that was great. Yeah. Me, I'd be just picking it up and throwing it. <laughs> well, I would have, you know, if I putted it, you know, normally I would miss a putt like that, but you know, that bunker hole, the bunk, the real hole bunker is so big. I might've been able to put my ball into that. I don't think I would have got it on the green, but it was, it was brilliant. It was creative. It was imaginative. And here's a guy who's a great chipper. And even he looked at it and it's like, I can't, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if I can get this close by chipping it. So he, he took that option and it turned out great. And that's the kind of thing. Remember the, you know, the, I played with the, I pl- in the, uh, gosh, they had the Dunhill. There was a Dunhill cup for a while at the old course. They started it, I think in 89 or 90. And it was three man teams from different countries. And I, I think I was there just because I was on the way back from the Ryder cup or something. Anyways, I got to, I was invited to play in the pro-am. It was an IMG production. So I get paired with Eduardo Romero from Argentina, who I didn't, hadn't even heard of then. And it's a practice round basically for him. But I mean, this guy shot 66 without even trying. He, he played American golf. He smashed the ball. Anyways, the point of my story was on 17, he had a terrible shot that wound up on the road, on the road hole. And he putted it from there and made it for a three. Oh, my God. It was unbelievable. So I've seen, I would, that shot was better than Cameron Smith's, but um, that road hole is something else. You know, you keep watching it, you're going to see something you've never seen. And Cameron Smith gave us that this year. Yeah, he did. I noticed that, and I don't have the the final standings in front of me here, Gary, but I noticed that some of our, and I will talk about this later in the show, our LIV friends didn't fare so well there for the most part. And um, if I'm remembering correctly, and I just wonder if it was them, the course, the, all the crap that's gone on about LIV. Uh, I have no idea because usually they were pretty decent golfers but they, they didn't show well there. Well, I, I don't know if you can put any kind of reason behind why they didn't do well as a group. I think everybody's got their individual stories. Sure. But by and large, I mean, if you look at who's the guys who've gone over, to me, joining Liv is like running up the white flag. You're surrendering. You're admitting, yeah, I really can't win anymore. I can't beat these guys anymore. Or... I don't want to work that hard to try to beat these guys anymore. It's just too hard. I just give me the money. I want to, I don't want to work that hard. Right. And Dustin Johnson hasn't been sharp. Uh, Patrick Reed hasn't done anything really. Uh, and all those guys who the, you know, the British guy, European guys, I mean, most of them are in their forties on the downsides of their career. 
they aren't guys who win. There are guys who, when they have a great week, maybe they finish third or fifth or eighth, but it's not a cast of uh, superstars. I mean, they do have five of the top 10, I think, but it just so happens that they didn't do well that week. So I, I, yeah. so I would think the feeling of discomfort was palpable because, you know, Rory is leading the, the other side over there. And I think you go in that locker room and especially that lawsuit, I, I forget now if that lawsuit had been filed already. I don't think it had, but uh, Justin Thomas said it best on, on Twitter. He said, you're, you're not just suing the tour. You're suing me. You're suing every one of us you've played with, you know, and it made it personal. Yes. So, uh, but I think there was some, I, I wouldn't be surprised if those players did feel some discomfort there, but I mean, the, you would think the, I don't think the fans treated him any differently for the most no, part. No. So I, I wouldn't read too much into it, except for the fact that maybe the guys on the live tour aren't, you know, it's like buying a new car that maybe is a little bit of a lemon. Maybe, maybe they didn't get exactly what they think they got. Well, they didn't get what they asked for yesterday in court because um, the judge threw out their request for that TRO. And uh, I don't know what they I don't know what they were thinking because I, I'm not a lawyer, thank God. But uh, that was a very reasonable ruling. But I think this is probably going to go on for two, three, four years, all this battling back and forth, unless live folds its tent no pun intended at some point <laughs> but, <laughs> well that's you know that sounds like stereotyping but it's accurate uh no i the judge said i think the judge said she was going to hear the case the other case the tour against the tour august he set a date for august of next year right so they're not even going to take it up for a year well that might give the live lawyers a chance to learn something about golf because uh their presentation, they basically five-putted. They, they got everything wrong. They, <laughs> I mean, they were talking about the Arnold Palmer Invitational of Ohio, of Ohio or something. I mean, they – Yeah. And, you know, you're making a case, oh, these poor three – these three guys are, you know, so poor. They've been, they've been mistreated. They've already made more money on, from live than they made in their careers. And so how, how is the – they're projecting live to get 20% of the golf market. Well, then how is the PGA tour a monopoly? If you've got 20%, I mean, all their arguments, just none yeah. of them held water. I don't know what they were thinking. Um, we're going to pick this up in just a minute. We got to take a break. Gary Van Sickle and I will be back on grilling at the green right after this. Hi everybody. It's JT. And this is a special version of grilling at the green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green here on AM860 Golf News Net and all of that. I want to tell you about our friend Smoky Bones. They have a Smoky Bones in Pennsylvania, Gary. Um, for a limited time, get the Rib Feast for 20 bucks, 19.99 actually. Rib Feast is you get a house rack of ribs, a couple of sides of garlic bed, bread, a drink. Uh, Smoky Bones, they're out of Florida, but they have 63 locations from Illinois down to Florida. And they give you your barbecue platters for lunch and dinner every day. So find a Smoky Bones near you and enjoy their summer rib feast special for only $19.99. I can't cook a rack of ribs for 20 bucks out here. 
That, yeah, that, no, the, that ribs are uh, the price of ribs have got, you know like everything. Well, look, inflation was up nine percent just in July. Yeah, can you imagine nine percent inflation in one month? Yeah, we're talking I, I, stuff I really, like I just, Brazil. We, yeah, I mean, I I think I feel like uh, I picked a bad time to be on a fixed income. <laughs> remember, remember I, what was that? Uh, remember that airplane movie with the first one with Lo- Lloyd Bridges? Yeah, and he kept saying, oh, "I guess I picked a bad time to quit sm- quit smoking." Yeah, and every emergency he comes up with, "I picked a bad time to quit drinking." You know, I picked a bad time to quit quit amphetamine. I mean, he, ke- yeah, he kept yeah. throwing uh, more Stop. crazy things. He quit, and uh, with each emergency, but yeah, it picked yeah. a bad time to be retired on a fixed income with inflation <laughs> going up at. <laughs> What's it going to be for the year? 30%? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's the reality is setting into a lot of people, I'm afraid, and not a good one. Um, if this was a political show, I'd never take commercial breaks. We'd just keep talking about it. But it uh, would. well, if there were elections a month ago when gas was at $5 a gallon, you would have seen some changes. Now gas is coming down. Nobody knows why, but the price of everything else is going up for the time being. So, you know, one, we don't have to talk politics at all, but I can tell you one, one thing I know about politics is people vote their wallet. Yep. Something happens. Something's happening in Afghanistan and the middle East. They don't, it doesn't affect them. They don't care. What they care is when you start taking money out of their wallet, then they care. You know, Bill Clinton, when he went to get reelected, uh, had the Monica Lewinsky thing going on. He was smart bombing Yugoslavia for some reason, all this stuff. The stock market was doing great. Nobody cared. Everybody's wallet was great. He got reelected. Not a problem. And that's yep. that's the general rule. If, if the economy's going well and people have got money in their wallets, they don't care who's in charge. You can do get away with a lot of stuff, but when you can't get baby formula and the price of everything is going through the roof. Uh, the incumbents, you know, people get in that mood where it's throw the bums out and they don't care who the bums are. Throw them out, get, get the other party in, whoever they are. Well, they've been doing that. They did it here just this last week. Uh, they threw out at a six term incumbent right across the river up in Washington. And uh, a guy who was a special forces guy, astute fellow, um, beat her. And we had a got a 10 term congressman here in my district that got 86. They did, they were just tired of it. So we'll see. I'm not sure that the ones you send back there, you know, they usually fall in line pretty soon and go for the money. So we'll see what happens this time. Anyway, back to uh, back to the open. What was the one thing that you really took away from the open, Gary? I mean, I always. When I watch a golf tournament and I kind of, you know, I don't sit there and reflect on it for hours, but usually when I'm out riding my lawnmower or something, something pops into my brain and goes, wow, you know, that guy came from eight shots back or this and that, or that, that person showed some real uh, good sportsmanship or something usually stands out for me. And I know when we're covering them here on the West coast, I usually walk away from a tournament, whether it's LPGA or PGA, whatever it is, that I see something like that. Did you have any little light bulb come on for you? Well, I think it exposed, you know, the underlying problem of golf is players are hitting the ball so far that golf courses are being rendered obsolete. 
And on top of that, the old course was, you know, burnt extra crispy, which was fabulous. I mean, it was, they had a drought, the ball was rolling forever. Right. Despite that, they had to use every goofy miniature golf pin location for four straight (laughs) days to keep the scores reasonable. And really, and they were got lucky they had some enough wind to keep it okay. But I mean, there were all the par fours, uh, all the par fives are reachable. I think there were six par fours that were drivable. So what's your, you know, so uh, think about that. You've just taken eight shot, uh, 10 shots off of par, off the realistic par. Yeah. Well, off the possible par. So I was surprised. I've been saying, I've been saying this for 15 years. I'm waiting for somebody on a calm day at any one of these links courses over there in the open rotation. I'm waiting for somebody to shoot 58 because it's going to happen. You know, Rory shot 63, the first round at the old course, I think in, 2010 maybe because then he came back and shot like 80 or 81 but you saw it with rory he's driving the ball on these greens like it's not on these par four greens like nothing and that just sets up you just look at this going you know even the road hole what are these guys hitting into the road road hole seven iron eight iron big deal you know it's not like he used to be hitting a four iron in uh, the, 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 the old course is on the verge of obsolete. I mean, really, I would say it is outdated. It's not long enough. And almost every course in the British open rotation can say the same thing. They, 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 you know, they're already using parts of other courses at the old course for tee boxes. So that's what struck me is I, they're lucky somebody didn't shoot 59 and, and really, I mean, the 18th hole was a par three. It was like, it was like number eight at Oakmont. Everybody's driving the green. Yeah. What, what kind of a golf tournament is that? Well, I think, I think what levels the playing field and it doesn't happen every year, but when you get the squalls in off the bay and the winds blowing and that, that kind of levels the playing field a little bit to me. And like you said, this course was very dry, hard balls rolling. Um, but when they get heavy winds and a little rain, I think that's when those old courses have their heyday with players. All uh, right. But they, but they have to have that now. Yes. Or they're defenseless. And I don't just mean guys are going to shoot 63. I mean, guys are going to shoot 58 and maybe multiple guys are going to shoot 60, 61, six. I, I mean, it, it's going to look like the old Bob Hope classic. And you know, the, the RNA and the USGA have been talking. They've, they've been suggesting they're about to make some announcements about some big changes, and yet they're, they're, they're still silent. So we're going to take another break. We're going to be back with Gary Van Sickle here on Grilling at the Green right after this. Hey, it's JT, and this part of Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Ben Hogan Golf. Check them out online at benhogangolf.com. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT, and today we're talking with our, our roving reporter with his uh, Grilling at the Green hat on, Gary Van Sickle. Uh, I'd like to thank the folks again at Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended. If you want to send us an email, it's very simple. You can go to our website, grillingatthegreen.net, and you can send us one that way, or you can just send one to info at grillingatthegreen.net, and uh, somebody, particularly me, will respond to you. I promise. Um, yeah, it, 
you know, we were talking about the length of the courses and stuff. I, I would, out of all the courses, I don't just me. I don't think they would ever mess with the old course very much because it's so iconic, you know, but it's hard to say they may have them. They may move that tee shot. That's kind of around the back of the hotel that they have to hit over the, the building. They may move that clear around the back. So you have to hit over the whole hotel. Now I'm not yeah, sure. Well, the, the, the tee box they are using now is on uh, the other course. I think the Jubilee course or the Eden course, it's on the other side of the, the wall that separates uh, the courses, you know, they've got multiple right. courses there right. in the complex and they're already using land on the other course for that tee box. So, but you know, if, even if you give these guys a 175 yard approach shot, that's an eight iron or a nine iron. Now, I mean, that's the big thing. A 170 yard shot is a nine iron or an eight iron. Right. So a, a par four has to be 500 yards. So they, maybe they have a hundred 90 or 200 where they can hit a six iron. There's no, nobody's hitting three and four and five irons into a par four anymore. That's what you hit into a par five, maybe. So right. it's, it's an issue really only for professional golf. The average guy, you know, your country club doesn't need no, no country clubs are moving their tees back. Amateurs aren't hitting it too far, but the pros are. And yeah. uh, there comes a time when, you know, you're, turns into a pitch and putt contest and you know, <laughs> we're just going to be stuck with it unless something happens and the governing bodies don't want it's a, it, there's a dilemma i mean really we can talk about it but when you get down to it nobody wants to bring the ball back the manufacturers don't the players don't uh who who so, you know it's going to cost them so much to do that what you're going to have to if you have bifurcation Jeff, you're gonna you're gonna make two kinds of balls. This Titleist is gonna have to make a a ball specifically for tour players that the public is never gonna buy because they don't go as far. Right. What kind of a and, and they're gonna have to have one or two models because tour players, some of them use a Pro V1X, some use a Pro V1. So it's gonna be a huge expense and a huge headache. And in addition, it upsets the entire marketing system of professional golf, which the manufacturers use pro golf to get their clubs uh, shown to the public and, and they market out. Uh, Cameron Smith uses such and such driver and this and that. And if you do bifurcation, now all of that's out the window and they're going to have to figure out, go back to square one and figure out how to sell golf clubs to the public. If the tour players aren't playing the same equipment. Right. So they don't, the manufacturer, the, the, the governing bodies don't want to get in the middle of that because somebody's going to sue somebody. And they usually uh, do. Okay, and it's going to be a big expense. I mean, right now, you know, the coming thing is direct to consumer marketing and the Hogan company was trying to do that. And they just closed down because they didn't have enough money. But, you know, uh, the guy who runs it, Scott White told me that the, the player endorsements, that's about 150, $160 for a driver that goes right, you know, that, that, that adds $160 to the price of your driver. The fact that pro players are playing a, you know, a big name driver. Right. So uh, that's part of the system that any kind of bifurcation or settling this problem is going to upset. So there's not a great urgency to do this because it's going to be a mess. I wanted to, you, you talked about Scott and the Hogan company. Um, I know Scott. I know you know Scott. Uh, we had a 
private email or a text exchange last week or week before, right after the announcement and stuff. I don't know what anybody thinks or this and that, but I, but I'm going to just say this now. I think Scott did everything he could to make that company run. And I think, but when you have to go to, um, you know, VC people, venture capitalists and that kind of thing for, to get your funding, you're always in the water with sharks. And the parent company of that, of Hogan filed bankruptcy earlier. And then, like you said, and I know Scott was trying to, Perry Ellis was thinking about buying um, Hogan. And then they backed out right at the last minute for whatever reason. Scott told me that. And um, it just kind of left a number of people that were down there. They didn't have a huge employee list, but they had, you know, a fair number of people that worked for them. And uh, all that went away. And it was sad to see the the name go away because I really thought Scott was doing a great job down there. So that they, they made pretty good irons and pretty, you know, if somebody said, oh, you got to because I had I had he sent me some of them to try and, if somebody, if you would have said, oh, you got to play Hogan clubs now for the next five years. It's like, these are plenty good enough for me to play, you know, for yeah. the average person. They were, they were, they were good. Uh, the driver went just as far as whatever the driver I had in my bag. I was, I was very happy with this stuff and it was, you know, com- look, no, it's tough to suck it up and spend 550 bucks for a driver. Oh right. My gosh. I mean, I, yeah. You and I are from the era where you didn't spend that much for the whole set of clubs. <laughs> right. So, yes, but you, look, you've got to have money. You've got to have enough money to have inventory, and you've got to have enough money to market yourself and get your name out there. The fact that Hogan was still going, but honestly, how many people really knew? But I, I think the direct-to-consumer, if you've got a good enough product, I mean, PXG started that way, and now they've gone mainstream with distributors and stuff, but I think you, I think it can be done with good, with the right equipment if you've got good stuff and if you've got some, a, a plan to, you know, buy advertising or create advertising or however you do it nowadays, which right. I don't have the answer right. for. I, I think if you had enough money, you, enough money in the bank, I think you could make, you could still make Ben Hogan Company go. I'm kind of surprised somebody didn't pick him up, but maybe they're waiting for the, you know, the, Fire sale, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a it's a name, it's a name, the logo that worth having. But you know, then again, you and I are that era, the guys who remember when you know the Hogan Clubs was the were they were the ultimate, right? You know, if you if you had those in your bag, then you were a player. They weren't for they weren't for the average guy. They weren't for the fifteen handicapper. You had to be a stick to use Hogan Clubs, right? Problem is everybody who remembers that is now our age or, you know, taking a dirt nap. So <laughs> man, it's like live golf. We got to have rock music and concerts at the tournament. Oh, God, uh, yeah. Well, not for me, you don't, but Hey, maybe times have changed. Yeah. We're, we're going to talk about that in the next segment and after hours, Gary, cause I got some things to share with you. What we saw here in Portland. I haven't talked to you really since then. I was going to tell you my Hogan clubs are right here. Right. You can't see them, but they're right off uh, in my office. They they are proudly parked right next to my desk. So it's amazing. Uh, you have an office there in the seventh hole at Pebble Beach. I'm I know. Yeah. Well, there's a bunker and not the kind of bunker with sand in it, but kind of a nuclear type thing. And that's where I like a, I won't even go there. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> there's one very famous bunker from World War Two, but I'm not going to bring it up. 
Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. It's like that. Um, let's see. Oh, we're going to take a little break. And Bruce Furman is going to give you his tip of the week right here on Grilling It's Green. When I practice my own game, I keep notes. Every time I practice, I put them in my smartphone and, and I have a constant list. And, and a lot of things I do the same, but every once in a while I'll be practicing. I'll feel this or that. And I always write that down. So I have my notes to look at. And, and I, of course, understand my swing. And a lot of players. Average players have really no clue about their own swing. They they listen to cliches from their playing partners like keep your head down, swing easy, left arm straight, those kind of cliches. But they don't really understand their own golf swing. So you should take a lesson from a from a good teaching professional and really understand your swing. And then that teacher should give you certain drills and ways to practice and the drills are designed for your swing and your problems so then when you practice whatever little time you have you're practicing that that's making some difference in your game and you're not just guessing and listening to your buddies or or there's a lot of information on the internet but most of it's not good for your game so you got to be careful when you listen to those things so so understand your swing learn how to practice do the right drills and you'll get better even with limited amount of time to practice So I hope that helps. Thank you, Bruce. We appreciate that. You can uh, find out more about Bruce if you just go to the London Farms website. He's the director of instruction there. Great guy. Kind of looks like a aging beach boy with his silver hair. Anyway, go to Langdon Farms, click on instruction, find Bruce Furman. Gary and I are going to take a break. We'll be back. We'll wrap up this part of the show. You, You won't want to miss after hours either right here on Grilling It's Green. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. Don't forget our friends down at Smoky Bones. Uh, 63 locations from Illinois down to Florida, and they're having their rib feast. Uh, I want to call it a rib fest, and that can, you could can call it that too, for $19.99. And all through Illinois down to Florida, like I said, 63 locations. You get a really great barbecue platter for 20 bucks, and that is kind of unheard of today. I was telling Gary, I said, I can't even cook a rack of ribs for 20 bucks anymore. It's just, it's it's crazy. Um, LIV, uh, we talked a little bit earlier about the court case and all that. What we saw in Portland was a... Uh, Waste management, what is that? The 16th hole, 17th hole? 16th hole, yeah. yeah. We saw that on on steroids here. Smaller group of people. But when you had uh, Greg Norman standing up in one of the skyboxes, pouring beer down into a uh, one of the spectators' mouths, you know, five feet below him, he was just doing that. And he was, I posted a picture on Twitter last night of, uh, of Greg throwing beers to the crowd. And then when they did the presentation, it was like NASCAR. It was like, you know, shaking up beers and champagne and pouring them all over the players and doing all that crap. And uh, I'm certainly not stodgy. 
But I just thought that is that where we want this to go? You know, I mean, I understand like at the end of a Ryder Cup when they're wrapping themselves in their their flags and they're popping the champagne bottles. I get all that. But this is an every week, you know, shooting T-shirts into the crowd, throwing beers to the people, doing all that. Maybe I am stodgy. I don't know. It I it just had the wrong look for me. Well, they're they're trying to appeal to a younger audience. Yeah. And everyone who's tried that in the history of golf has failed because the people who watch golf are older men who were, you know, well off. I mean, every marketing study has shown that over the years. I used to work at Golf World magazine, which was part of Golf Digest and then Sports Illustrated. And yeah, their market was over for that. The demographics have always been why golf has been popular for magazine advertising and for television. They can target the audience. It's the wealthy, wealthy man over 40 or 50. And the average viewing age is like 60 or 64, 65. And they think they can attract these 25-year-olds. Well, the problem is the 25-year-olds don't have the spending power that the 65-year-olds do. Right. So when you go after an audience that, A, isn't really there, they're not you know, it's it's kind of like making uh, lime fla- beer with lime flavored. It's beer for people who don't really like beer. So now you're trying to sell golf to people who don't really like golf that much. So you got to throw in rock bands and T-shirts and all this stuff. And these people don't have the money, the buying power that the older right. audience does. So why it sounds like, well, yeah, look, they're at that average age for the audiences, traditional golf audiences way too old yeah but they have the money and they spend it so we'll see <laughs> if it plays out that way but you know they tried there was a what was that magazine they tried was it punk golf i mean that oh, flamed okay. out in a, a year because you know because it's got golf in the title what a 25 year old as soon as they see golf it's like next they're done yeah. you know they're not gonna yeah. they're never gonna subscribe to golf digest no matter how many young angled stories you put in they they they're stopped by the word golf in the title. They're done. So I don't know. I, I think it's great that they're trying some other things, but I don't think reaching a younger audience is really the long-term answer. I think the team thing, the yeah. team thing got legs potentially if they stay around that long and, you know, quit switching guys from the teams. I mean, there's, there was guys who've been on three different teams and three different tournaments here. So uh, and I, personally, I'm not interested in the team thing at all. I mean, it doesn't do it for me at all. Maybe if this team stayed the same for a year or two, but you know what? Even then, I, it's not like the Ryder Cup teams. No. I'm never going to care about the teams. And I'm not really that interested in the, you know, with 48 guys, the tournament itself is an individual. You know, it's an exhibition. So I'm not that interested in that either. But I am, am interested in, about the, in the way they're presenting it, and there's a lot of good ideas that probably the PGA Tour should and will steal. We're out of time on this part of the show. Uh, as always, we thank Gary Van Sickle for taking the time and wearing the hat today. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of um, Grilling at the Green. We appreciate it. And uh, you take care, and we'll see you then. Just open up the door and let the good times in. Tomorrow's going to be better. Grilling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, all rights reserved. 
And remember, the key to lower scores, a pencil with an eraser. See you next week.